Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you holding up during this quarantine? Good, good. Uh, I've I've always had a beard, but now my quarantine beard, I've just refused to do any shaving, so usually I do a little bit of trimming, so, uh, but no, I'm growing it out full, full, full force. I actually ran out of razors, like, a week oh. into this thing, and I... <laughs> So I was growing a beard there for like three three weeks, but it was driving me nuts. And so I actually subscribed to the Dollar Shave Club, who doesn't sponsor this program. Uh-huh. So that's that's just, that's just me yeah. using their your service. Uh, it was a good razor. I mean, I don't know if I'd, I'll keep up with it, but it was like it was nice to have it delivered to my home. Uh, also joining us is the very bearded uh, Jeremy Greco, better known as Hokaius. Is it Greco or Greco? I, I know I ask that every time. It's Greco. Greco, Jeremy Greco, better known as Hokaius. Jeremy, how are you doing today? Ah, pretty good. Excellent. I didn't know that like my normal lifestyle was called quarantine until a few <laughs> weeks ago, but so it hasn't affected you at all, has it? Uh, you know, I I don't have to go to the office at all anymore, so that part's nice. But yeah. yeah. Well, we said we'd put our regular podcast on a hiatus because we thought there'd be nothing to talk about with the Royals or baseball, but. There actually was some, some news this week as reports surfaced about some ideas that baseball had about returning to play possibly this summer. Uh, Major League Baseball is considering a few ideas, uh, including resuming activities possibly in late May or maybe early June with uh, a couple plans kind of floating out there. Either There's one that would have all teams playing in Arizona in empty stadiums. There was another plan that would have uh, teams playing uh, the regular season from their spring training complex. Under that latter scenario, teams would kind of be aligned geographically on where they trained with a Grapefruit League in Florida and a Cactus League in Arizona and a champion from each of those leagues meeting in the World Series. Under that plan, there would be some radical realignment with the Royals placed in a division in the Cactus League Northwest Division with uh, some teams that they kind of train nearby like the Texas Rangers, Milwaukee Brewers, San Diego Padres, and Seattle Mariners. Now, nothing's in concrete on this plan yet. Uh, it's still kind of Major League Baseball just kind of spitballing ideas. They have been working with the CDC and health professionals who are at least, you know, at least right now supportive of baseball coming back at some point. And so there would be some point, you know, there would be some measures at least to kind of maintain social distancing. There would be no home plate umpire. Instead, they would use a robot umpire for the strike zone. You wouldn't have players in the dugout uh, kind of sitting all together. Instead, you'd have them spread out six feet apart in the stands. Uh, and you'd also have to have a lot of testing and screening, and, and players would have to be tested on a regular basis. And they'd also have to be separated from their families, uh, perhaps for the, at least if not the entire season, then most of the season, uh, with families only visiting once they've been screened and kind of appropriately uh, tested. So, you know, Jeremy, 
we haven't seen anything concrete. These are just kind of a couple uh, reports from Jeff Passan and Bob Nightingale. And, you know, I think it's just kind of baseball's way of floating this out there to see what the reaction is. But what, what was your initial reaction to kind of the ideas that were being reported? My initial reaction was just kind of to wonder why they think that uh, Arizona and or Florida would somehow make the, the players immune to uh, the disease because you're even if you you're you're reducing travel to a certain degree, but it's not like these guys were flying, uh, you know, commercial anyway, um, and and so you're 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 still going to have a whole bunch of people getting together, and the, there, there's going to be you can you can take away the home plate umpire, but there's going to be players getting close to each other in the bases, and the moment one person turns up with COVID nineteen, like everything has to grind to an immediate immediate halt and it's not just you know your 26 players however many coaches you got your your staff you've got a um you got to figure out how you're going to feed these guys how you're going to you know everything that has to go on with the you know basically their entire lives and then also they'll all still be even if you spread them out in the stands they're going to end up being pretty close to each other in a lot of circumstances probably in the clubhouses when they're getting ready for games and stuff I don't know how much you can spread that out. Um, that that was just kind of my initial reaction was that it it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to just say oh well they'll play in in Arizona and Florida and somehow they'll be safer from COVID nineteen there than if they went back to their their home stadiums. Yeah, and you're talking about protecting these players. I guess like it, would, it sounds like it'd be kind of like a virtual dome that you're just putting over. Like the comp- I think they want to do like Arizona, Florida, just because they want to keep them all centralized in one location. Because if you, I think if you keep them in their home cities, you run the risk of them like running to the grocery store or uh, you know interacting with their families. When, and who knows, you know where their families are going. I think it, this, I guess, gives them I think made a greater uh, certainty or security, I guess, and that the players are staying put. Uh, you know, assuming the players stick to that. Uh, but you're talking about you know 30 players on each team. That's 900 players. Plus, you'll probably need a taxi squad because you don't have you won't have the minor leagues to call guys up to replace players. So that's like a thousand players or so. Then you're talking about coaches, trainers, uh, support staff, stadium operations, uh, groundskeepers, trainers. Uh, you know, the, who's going to drive the bus to get to stadiums? Who's going to wash uniforms? Who's going to feed them food? Uh, that's a that's a lot. That's like fifteen hundred people that you got to keep protected. Uh, and and you're right. I don't know what do you what do you do the first time someone tests positive corona because you're going to be testing the guy, these guys a lot. I would imagine. What happens when you test them uh, when you when one of them tests positive? And you know there was one report that said they wouldn't have to necessarily quarantine an entire team, but I don't know how you don't quarantine an entire team at that point because uh, that's kind of the protocol at this point. When someone tests positive, you kind of contact everyone that that person's contacted with in the last day and and kind of, uh, you know, tell them to stay put for a couple of weeks. So, I don't know, Sean, it's, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome here, and I appreciate baseball at least thinking about this in case there's an opportunity here to start the season. But does it seem feasible to you that we'll see baseball in this respect this summer? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, it seems like they're going really far out of the way. And listen, all of us would love baseball to happen in 2020, but, like, it seems like they're going pretty far out of their way just to salvage – I don't know what 80 games, you know, who knows what's when this all going to be started by. And if it's not done by July, 
essentially then you know you've got 80 games you're just trying to salvage it's like great it, it just feels like a lot of risk for the reward of having one season and you know obviously baseball uh, have we missed a season? There's been strikes shortened, but has, has there ever been a fully missed season before? No, I mean even through World War One, World War Two, yeah, they've they've kept on going. We have not missed a season, even during the Spanish flu of 1918. I mean they kept they they actually did truncate the season that year, but that was because of World War One, not because of the Spanish yeah. flu. So yeah, we've never had a just a skipped season, even for a work stop. Yeah, yeah. So. So I don't know. I mean, I just think it's a lot of risk for what what should be what what the reward is. You know, one season of baseball. At, you know, at the risk of potentially infecting people and people being killed. And you know, it doesn't take much that we've learned from this this virus is that it doesn't take. You can be healthy and still pass away from it. You could still be forty. 30 years old and still pass away from it. And so there's just no reason to risk anybody's life just to play one more, you know, half season of baseball. Yeah, one thing I was reading when I was, uh, when I was looking up this plan some more is that, um, and apparently I missed this before now, but the players uh, have apparently agreed to take a prorated amount of their salary based on how many games they play. Um, or at least that's what I was reading in this article uh, over here. But if they don't play any games, does that mean the players have agreed to not get paid at all for this season? No, they they so were given they were given an advance, I yeah. think, on uh, for okay. some. They got money. that hundred seventy million dollar whatever. Yeah, was which isn't which isn't which isn't a full year salary, and I think a lot of that money yeah. goes to the guys with guaranteed contracts. But they will get some money, but yeah, certainly not all of it. So I wonder if like the, there's a financial incentive for some of these players to to get back on the field, and I, th- and I think just the competitive nature of a lot of these guys, I think they want to get mm-hmm. on the field. But I think there's certainly going to be some guys that don't want to play. Um, already there's been, I think, Eric Sogard's wife kind of said, no, he's not doing this. Brett, uh, Brett, uh, Brett Anderson's wife kind of said, you know, this is not – or I think actually it was Brett Anderson himself said this wasn't really tenable. Um, and so there are going to be players, I think, resist this, that resist this. And I wonder how much pressure there's going to be on players to play. Maybe not overt pressure, no, no team saying you got to play. But, like, if you're kind of a – fringy guy and you have some concerns about your health but you also know you know you need the money first of all but also this is the prime of your career you know missing a full season uh baseball might just move on and forget about you um so i think there's gonna be a lot of pressure on guys just to play even if they do have some concerns so i think it is incumbent upon baseball to make like really make sure that they have everyone's health into consideration and look there's not there's no way they can um you know, have a hundred percent, keep them, you know, keep them safe a hundred percent. Even now, like quarantine, you know, staying at home, we're running some risk. I mean, we're still, you know, going to the grocery store once in a while. We're still, I mean, my wife still goes to work. She works at a hospital. Obviously there's a lot of risk there. Uh, so there is some risk that we're taking just kind of living our lives, even lockdown, but um, you know, it's going to be a trade-off to see. And, and, and Sean, it sounds like it's a trade-off. Maybe you're not willing to make just to get baseball on the field. Jeremy, how do you feel about yeah the risk versus reward of having baseball back on the field from from a fan perspective i i think there's it's it's no contest obviously uh you know lives i think are more important than than you know being able to enjoy a sport and that's why i brought up that pay thing because i do wonder at least um as you were saying for some of the lower level guys or or say uh baseball 
uh, adopt a plan. I could see them adopting a plan where they could say, okay, we're going to play baseball, but like, if you really don't want to, like, if you're really worried about this, you can sit out no punishment against you. So in that case, I could see some guys sitting out and some other guys, they're going, oh, I might never get to play in the big leagues if I don't play this year or, or other guys going, um, you know, like you were saying with the, uh, the guys who are like, uh, if, uh, this this might be my last year. I might never have another opportunity. Who who would have played this year? You know, just both both levels. But guys at the the lower levels who just feel like the pressure to to show up and uh, and and take advantage of an opportunity could could lead to some dangerous circumstances. Yeah, and you know, I, I know, Sean, you were kind of talking about how you know we don't want to risk lives, and and it maybe isn't worth bringing back baseball. I do think though that there. You know, we've been in quarantine for, what, uh, a month now, uh, basically, and with no sign that we're going to end this anytime, it's probably going to be at least another month, if not more, and I kind of feel like there hasn't been enough discussion about, um, like, what the next steps will be and when they might take place, and I know a lot of that's because we just don't, I mean, even the health professionals just don't know much about this virus, how it will respond in the warmer weather, or if we can get herd immunity or anything like that, or when we'll have mass testing or screening. Uh, so I understand there's a lot of unknowns, but I do feel like the more we're in the dark about this, like people are going to get antsy and they're going to start, uh, I, guess, I think maybe, you know, going against some of these health orders. I mean, we've already seen that a little bit, like people not kind of following some of the quarantine rules. Um, and so you know, if, if baseball is working, and you know, the, the reports where the baseball is working with the CDC on this, and if if baseball can kind of, maybe begin the process of like opening up some businesses like cuz i think this summer there's going to be a lot of pressure to start opening up some like not some non-essential businesses and you know look we're going to still have social distancing we're going to have a lot of different measures to take you know to ensure that people don't contract the disease but um but yeah you know, at some point i think people are going to want to kind of get back to some level of normalcy and you know Matthew Lamar had an article this week about how baseball is really important a part of maybe helping us feel like we're getting back to normal so do you see like some value in in that or is it just like this is a game and and we can't risk lives yeah i mean that's how it you know i think you made a really good point where the guys that are gonna be most pressured to play are gonna obviously be i see actually you may i think you made a good point but i think the people that are going to be the most pressured to play might come down to the um the contracts they have because if you tell a guy like um, like David Price, I'm just off the top of my head, a guy who's going to make 30-ish million this year, if you say, okay, if you play, if we have baseball, you'll get the prorated version. Otherwise, you'll get none. I mean, missing out on 30 million bucks or give or take whatever it ends up being, that's pretty good incentive for that person to rush baseball. Now they've got millions of others of dollars to fall back that they've already accrued. But I think that's I, I think the outcome of the contracts is really going to push um, who to play because. You know, some guy making the minor league minimum, while it is a lot of money, they are less incentivized to, to I think, than the folks who are going to be making a ton of money. Um, and I think I'm with you on there. Is like if I was just making minor league minimum, I'm not sure. Excuse me, major league minimum. Um, I'm not sure how incentivized or how happy I would be to go. Potentially, you know, even though I'm an athlete and I'm typically in good shape. I'm not going to go risk my life for this. And as we've seen, it's not just one person. It's just one person has it. That's all it takes. Um, just the, the way with the R-naught value, the way it spreads, it just 
it, it, all it takes is just one person. There's almost no way they can have that many people gather together, test them all, you know, correctly as much as needed, keep them all contained. It's just the, it's just setting it up for a nightmare. It's interesting you mentioned uh, David Price, and you know they, the the players agreed, and the players and owners agreed that even if there's no season this year, that it would still count as a year for service time. So everyone was talking about how Mookie Betts, who was just traded to the Dodgers, may you know he'll he still will be a free agent next year, perhaps never playing in a Dodgers uniform because uh, they're still going to count this as a service year time, a service year. I was thinking with David Price. Well, the Dodgers also get a year closer to the end of his contract, you know, potentially without having to pay him that thirty million dollars this year. So yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, the player teams could kind of take advantage of this with some of the bigger contracts they have. Um, you know, if if we somehow do get baseball going this year, uh, under the maybe let's say this this plan, which I like, I said has a lot of obstacles. Um, you know, let's say that they're able to get some sort of plan like this. What do you guys think uh, of the kind of divisional alignment and kind of going forward uh, with maybe kind of a reimagined? league structure. Oh, we can start with you, Jeremy. What do you think of the, the division? What do you think about the Royals div- uh, competing in that division with the Brewers, Rangers, Padres, and Mariners? I know that the first thing I saw about the divisions was, uh, I believe it was Cody Tapp on uh, on Twitter saying the, the Royals would be in the weakest division. They would have a chance to compete. But um, unless you replace at least the Brewers with like the Orioles or something, I, I still don't see them having a real chance to compete in that league or in that division. It'd be interesting to see um, how many, how many interdivision games and how many intra division games they'd end up having to play. Uh, in in any kind of scenario like that as well, there's just so much that we don't know that there's there's so many there's so many possibilities. I guess there you could you can say oh there's so much confusion, but there's so many possibilities too. Uh, so it's actually it's really kind of fun to imagine all the different things that could work out uh, with the Royals being able to compete or not able to compete. Um, it, it, if anything, it seems any any kind of change makes it seem more plausible to me. Because just they don't seem very likely to compete the, uh, with the status quo, so uh, just any kind of changes just shake things up a lot and makes it makes it interesting. Yeah, the Brewers were the only team in that of that five some that had a winning record last year. Although you know the Padres, I think everyone sees them as maybe a team on the rise and they could make a jump this year. But Sean, you know, <laughs> I mean, playing in that division, the Royals aren't going to be competitive necessarily, but man, they could buy them a few more wins playing with those guys. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, like the Northeast one is basically the Northeast Cactus League is basically just the you know West already with the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies in it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was looking through some of those, and like the Orioles are going to lose 120, the equivalent of 120 whatever games because they've got, I mean, at least at least all four of those guys, those teams should be playoff teams that are in that Grapefruit South. Um, the Twins, they should be, but the Braves, Rays, and Red Sox almost certainly are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that'd be – it's an interesting thing. I'm, I'm curious, and I know they haven't determined on how the playoffs would go, but uh, it, I'm curious to see how the playoffs would be because, I don't know, the divisions is fine, but then you're messing around with, like, picking out, uh, like, a division winner, and it's all kind of based off of just the pods they're in in spring training. I would just maybe do a grapefruit a Cactus League and just the top – X teams from that, you know, win and I mean, make the playoffs, but um, I, as Jeremy kind of mentioned, yeah, I mean, they're getting a little quirky with it, but um, it seems like they're trying really hard to, to get something in. 
Well, and it does like seem as good. it's going to be a wacky season no matter what if they do play baseball this year. And it's going to, I think, whoever wins the championship this year, if they even call it like a World Series, uh, is going to have a big asterisk by it just because, you know, they're not going to, you know, unless they play 100 games, which is what they played in 1981, you know, 1981 I think is generally considered fairly legitimate with the Dodgers winning that year. Although you had scenarios where the Cincinnati Reds had the best record in baseball or best record in their league maybe in baseball and didn't make the playoffs that year. So there's some, there's some kind of weirdness with the split schedule in 1981 with the work stoppage. But I think generally people consider the Dodgers legitimate, legitimate champions this year. This year, if they only play like 60 games or 80 games, I'm not sure people are going to see the champion as a legitimate yeah. champion this year. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't have some fun with the season. Uh, and, you know, I'm a, I'm typically a purist who doesn't like to see any change in baseball. I mean, if it was up to me, we'd probably, I'd, I'd probably still have just one team from each league, make the, make the world series and that's it. But, uh, if you're going to experiment and get, get kind of nuts, uh, this would be the year to do it. I know Rob Manfred has all sorts of ideas, Jeremy. Uh, you know, what, is there anything you think baseball should try to experiment with this year? Uh, either things that are just accommodating this particular circumstance or maybe things that they could try and perhaps retain down the road. See, this is this is the thing that excites me the most about how how ridiculous this season is going to be, how weird this season is going to be, is because this is a prime opportunity. Like you said, if they only play 60 or 80 games, nobody's really going to look at the World Series champion or whatever they call it as a serious World Series champion anyway. So they might as well just throw in every wacky idea they've had over the past decade and see what sticks. Because then you can put that in a real season and see what happens. So you can do, you know, your robot balls and strikes. You could do your extra innings, start a guy at second. You could try just all of your ideas. And another thing, hopefully, uh, that we could see that I would like to see done away with is get rid of those blackout rules mm -hmm. for something like uh, MLB TV. Um, because, like we've discussed, fans probably aren't really going to be able to go to these games, and if they're all in Arizona and or Florida, a lot of fans are, from the region aren't going to be able to get there anyway. So you're going to have to to provide that uh, that TV viewing experience, and I think the, the easiest way to do that is going to be to lift a blackout on MLB TV, and once you do that... Maybe you just go ahead and leave that lifted and let your uh, let your cord cutters pay uh, to to watch online. A couple other interesting ideas I saw. One was um, kind of having so if you have like a really short season, like 50, 60 games, uh, just having like an, a postseason tournament, like the NCAA tournament, where you let all 30 teams in the playoffs, maybe the first the top seed in each league has a bye, and then you. You can either have a short series or even just a one game, maybe a one game playoff in the first round or two or something like that. And uh, and if you have a one game playoff in each round, that maybe generates a little bit of excitement, kind of like uh, March Madness. And that would be because, you know, in a 50, 60 game schedule, you're not necessarily going to have the top teams seated first. I mean, like there's a lot of randomness in a 50 or 60 game season. So uh, you could have some, you know, really interesting pairings and since it is kind of an asterisk season anyway you know and you may not consider the champ legitimate and you don't have to call it a world series champ i think they some people said you could call it like the baseball cup champion or something like that so that's one kind of different thing you could do the other one i saw was floated by agent scott boris and you know if they start the season in like late june or july 1st or something like that 
you could maybe squeeze 100 games from July to the end of October if you add some doubleheaders and stuff. But that pushes the postseason into November, and it can get pretty dicey with the weather and places like New York and Boston that are hoping to host playoff games. And so instead of having those games in New York or Boston, maybe you have them at a neutral site in warm weather or climate-controlled stadium. Uh, there's been talk about, like, the Dodgers were supposed to host the All-Star game this year, and that probably won't happen. So maybe you let the Dodgers host the World Series instead, and if the Dodgers happen to be in the World Series, maybe you have you know some of those games in Anaheim. But, you know, maybe this is a chance to see how a neutral site World Series goes, and maybe that's something we you know we can adopt for the future, so that when we have November World Series games, we don't have to worry about cold weather in New York or Cleveland or wherever. Sean, is there any uh, any kind of weird, wacky ideas you'd like to see baseball adopt? Yeah, I'd like to see in the vein of playing uh, in the vein of paying players um, the way that you could squeak out maybe a little bit extra payroll um, is uh, have have a what do they call it in fantasy football uh the consolation bracket Mm -hmm. like the guy that you know the the lower ranked team so basically every team i guess you just split the league in half and whatever make uh the math whatever i guess you could have 14 teams make the 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 winner's bracket and then 16 make the loser's bracket and you know everybody would continue to play throughout the year there'd there'd be one defined quote-unquote champion then you'd have the the bottom bracket um kind of play out as well so i mean you could at least have players playing you know a fuller set of games and then you know still have some fun with it i also wonder there's some there's uh you know if you're squeezing in a lot of double headers too they've talked about maybe having seven innings for each game of that double header like they do in college baseball um and also there's been talk about maybe limiting extra inning games because you know, they're, they're not going to have a lot of pitching. Uh, you know, you're not going to have pitchers just walk into the season and going seven innings to eight innings. And if you have all these double headers, you probably want to limit the number of relievers you go through as well. So, you know, maybe we don't have 14 inning games this year. Maybe we just say, okay, after 12 innings, it's a tie. Or we figure out, you know, like in the minors, they have that rule where you start a runner at second base every inning. I don't really like that rule. I think I'd rather see a tie than, than that rule. But um, that's another idea. Or... Some people even suggested doing like a home run derby to determine games, which I think is stupid. But <laughs> there are some other ideas out there. So, you know, like I said, I'm a purist and and I'm all for getting wacky this year. I think there there could be some good ideas that maybe I thought were stupid, like that, like that base running rule. Um, but once I see it in action, maybe I get persuaded by it and say, actually, that was pretty cool. And maybe that's something they can they can uh, hang on yeah. to in the future. Why don't we just adopt all the rules of uh, Rock and Jock? Was it Rock and Jock? Is that what it was? <laughs> With a 25-point basket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because they had a baseball version of it, but yeah, have something like that. Well, yeah. that like, they changed up the home run derby last year to make it kind of timed, uh, and that seemed to be that seemed to go over pretty well. So I don't Yeah, there's some definitely some things you can – some wrinkles you could throw in there to make uh, make things a little more interesting. So, yeah, we'll see what they end up doing. Uh, like, like I said, they're just kind of floating out ideas out there right now. Uh, you know, when we talk about the Royals specifically, Jeremy, is is there any way that this shortened season or maybe these different uh, play the different ideas to get the season started? Is there any way that you can see them impacting the Royals? I mean, I was thinking about like Brady Singer, like if it's, there's probably not going to be there's probably not going to be a minor league season at all. I mean, I can't imagine they would go through all these measures for the minors. Um, and so, what do you do with some of these pitching prospects? I mean, as a uh, you know, do you go ahead and bring them up to the big leagues? 
just so they can get some action in? Do you have them just sit out the season and say, okay, we'll wait till next year. We don't want to burn a year of service time on a weird year like this. Like, how how will the Royals be impacted by by some of these changes? Uh, if the Royals were any other team, I would say that there's no way they bring up any of their high-level prospects for a weird season like this. Um, but the Royals famously don't manipulate service time and and will actively promote guys because that guy is ready even if the team isn't ready for him um, because Dayton Moore wants to always be competing at the highest level he can, which is certainly a way to do things. Uh, obviously, it worked out. In um, people didn't think the team was ready in 2013, and he went out and made that trade, and it ended up working out to, that they got better in 2013, went to the World Series in 2014. Uh, so you know, but uh, it's still an awful lot, even for the Royals, to say, "Hey, Brady Singer, you know, we're kind of counting on you to be the guy, and also we're gonna burn a year of your service time in this weird year that no one is really going to count." That that seems like a tall ask, but at what point? At what point do you say, well, he was the best guy for the team, and and this goes for you know all the teams. I would think you have to ask what's what's best for the team. Are we gonna try to win this year or not? Um, when it's so weird, because as I said earlier, the weirder things get, the more I think it favors the Royals. So maybe it does make sense to bring up Brady Singer because he could help the team win and the team is in a better position to win than they would have been had the season played out normally. It's, oh gosh, I, I'm just, mostly I'm glad I don't have to make that choice. I must not wonder, like, if shorter season... You know, in a long season, when you're talking about a rebuilding team, like there's those summer doldrums in like July and August where you're 30 games back and it's got to be kind of tough even for the young guys to kind of get up for for games. And so in a shortened season, maybe, you know, the team doesn't have to be buried necessarily out of the gate and and maybe they can kind of hang. And especially in this division, which doesn't look like it's got any, you know, strong, super strong teams. Maybe the Royals are kind of hanging in there and not not too far back and and even if they kind of fall back maybe it's not such a long season that you kind of get discouraged so there could be maybe some benefit to to having it play out like that sean do you see any any specific ways the royals could maybe be benefit or hurt by by having this kind of weird season yeah i mean if they're going to credit guys of the year service time i mean for a team that at least operates under under a small market budget um i mean you're basically burning a year you know Without knowing the length of the season, but we're just going to assume it's short. It could be it could be non-existent. Um, you're giving up a whole entire year of service time um, for guys, and I mean, how are they going to do arbitration? Maybe they just give everybody a percentage arbitration raise. I mean, it's just a lot of things in that capacity. And then um, as far as it goes with by like, calling up minor league guys, I mean, yeah, same thing. If they're forced to do that, I mean, I think it would make more sense just to not. I would just blanket not promote anybody as far as in double a the brady singers the co-wars those kind of guys and i would just say you know we'll have some uh, scrimmage is the wrong word but simulated games kind of in the sense of where you're just kind of playing your own team and just call this essentially a lost year try to get as much work in as they can uh, maybe work a little later in the off season knowing that or the the, the upcoming off season knowing that they had a longer rest period so i think that if the royals got forced in that scenario where they would have to call up 
uh, a singer or Coar or Daniel Lynch or anybody like that and get call it I don't know 20 games out of them if that 15 but get credited for an entire year of service time I mean that's that's something for a team that operates under the budget the Royals do that's a major blow I do wonder though if they do most likely they will have to expand rosters to accommodate these doubleheaders and also you know having a truncated spring training so you could see like 30 or 32 man rosters and I wonder if that scenario like you do they can afford to keep Singer on the roster, maybe not initially start the year, but if, if they do establish, you know, there's, here's a date that, you know, counts as, you know, after this, if you call, if you're called up after this date, um, you know, that, that doesn't count as a full year of service time. Not that the Royals may not even consider that anyway, since they don't game service time, but you know, maybe they can keep singer on the roster uh, and have him go shorter outings uh, because they have so many relievers because our expanded rosters and they say, okay, only you know, just go out there and give us like three or four good innings. Let's see how you do against big leaguers. And maybe that's better than going to the Pacific Coast League anyway and playing with that silly ball and those, you know, bandbox ballparks and the you know altitude. Uh, and that that maybe that's a better way to evaluate him anyway. And with with Coar and Lynch, maybe you have them work out at your facility for a while, and maybe towards the end of the year you can get them in as a reliever, you know, one inning stints because you have that big roster, and and maybe see what they can do. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if any team wants to really burn, you know, a year of service time on young players. I mean, that's going to bring us a year closer to the end of Whit Merrifield's contract. Hunter Dozier's a year closer to free agency. Jorge Soler would only have one more year left after this. Which, by the way, if they do play in Arizona, can you imagine Jorge Soler hitting an entire season in, in Arizona? Uh, you know, he's been a spring training beast in the past season. So, I, you know, that'd be uh, – he, he may break the Royals – home run record again, even in a short season, if he's hitting, hitting in Arizona all year. So that might be fun to watch. And you might see like guys like Jorge Soler and Alberto Montesi, maybe maybe they're able to stay on the field more because the season's shorter. But You probably see guys like uh, O'Hearn and McBroom have a better year too. Yeah, because they've hit so well in the, in the Cactus League as well. So we'll see what uh, baseball ends up doing. Uh, again, there's a lot of ideas being floated out there. Nothing concrete yet, but uh, you know, obviously we want to see the players – safety taking an account i think first and foremost but if there is a way to kind of make things happen with uh with all the obstacles that are presented before them if they are able to make it happen i think you know definitely we would love to see some baseball played this summer we'll take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about some of our favorite baseball movies well with the quarantine in place we've had a lot of time to catch up on some of our favorite baseball movies and jeremy i know you've been writing about some baseball movies from the late 80s and 90s and you're looking to see if they still hold up here some 30 years later. Uh, tell us about what you've been watching, and, and do you feel like they hold up? Uh, so the three that I have watched that made it onto Royals Review so far have been Mr. Baseball with Tom Selleck, Bull Durham with Kevin Costner, and uh, Angels in the Outfield. Uh, Angels in the Outfield with, like, everybody. Just <laughs> Well, in first of all, time, go, like, go over that go over that cast because I think we forget who's in Angels in the Outfield, and it's kind of surprising. So, so the big cells when that movie came out were Brenda Fricker, uh, who plays Maggie, the foster home uh, runner, person who runs the foster home, and then you got Danny Glover, who's the manager of the team, and you got Christopher Lloyd, who's the head angel. So those those were the three big draws as far as actors go when the movie came out. But the the kid is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt before he, you know, has gone on to have this career of many, many movies. And then there's a, a light-hitting utility infielder. I, I forgot his name. 
Um, but he he gets basically one scene where he's he he's told to pinch hit for the best hitter on the team, and then the Angels make the ball bounce around, and he runs some bases, and he he wins the game for them. And that was Adrian Brody, who's a <laughs> who's a fairly big name. And then uh, there's an outfielder, and I forgot his name. This is how important these characters are to this movie, as I forgot their names. Uh, he plays an outfielder. He's the first sign of the Angels. He gets grabbed and carried until he catches the ball that he had no. He was not even anywhere close to catching until the Angels came and helped him. And that was Matthew McConaughey before he'd, <laughs> he'd done basically anything. It's just it's wild how many people were in that movie. Uh, Brenda Fricker, in case anyone doesn't know, she was uh, an Academy Award winner for My Left Foot in 1989. She's an Irish actress. Uh, and you probably recognize her if you saw her. Uh, Adrian Brody, I think he won an Oscar as well. Matthew McConaughey, of course, well-known. You didn't mention uh, Mel Clark. Pitcher Mel Clark. Yeah, Tony Danza. Oh, Tony, yeah, Tony Danza. By Tony Danza. Uh, you I have the, why I forget him. You have his fellow taxi alumnus, uh, Christopher Lloyd, playing the, the head angel. Uh, and you have Taylor uh, Negron. Negron? I don't remember. He's a character actor that I'm sure you would recognize if you saw him. But he's kind of in everything. Uh, so and, and Dermot Mulroney is in there as well. Uh, so, yeah, just like a... A good job by the casting agency. Like, they did a great yeah. job nailing that. There, you'll rarely see so much talent paid so little. <laughs> yeah, in such, in such a, a thin script. So so what did, what did you make of these baseball movies uh, 30 years? We're looking at them 30 years later. Of course, things have changed over time. But how, how have these three movies that you saw held up? Uh, well, of the three, Mr. Baseball holds up easily the best, I think, which is funny because I think it was – it was probably the least well-received of the three when it first came out. Um, Tom Selleck is just, he's terrific. I don't know what it is about him, but even when he's being a jerk at the beginning of the film, I was still rooting for him. And, uh, and it's, it was, it's really cool. I, I feel like the, um, so for those of you who don't know, Mr. Baseball is about this, this aging veteran who's been like a, a superstar in his career, but he's kind of on the downturn and is played by Tom Selleck and he's, he's traded to Japan, which I don't think that's a thing. Um, but he's, he's traded to a J Japanese league, uh, team. What's, do you remember the name of the team, Max? Uh, it's the, is it the Chinichi Dra Dragons? Yeah. Yes. Chinichi Dragons. Yeah, so he's traded to the Dragons, and uh, basically he has to learn like how to play baseball, not as the superstar. He's got he's 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 still really good there because he's he's big and strong and can hit the home runs, but he he's got to learn how to do some of the fundamentals again uh, because they won't put up with him not doing it, and and some other Japanese baseball culture things, and it felt like. Uh, the people who did this movie really uh, had a lot of respect for Japanese baseball and, and Japanese culture in general. I went back and looked, and, and pretty much every aspect of Japanese culture that they tried to focus on is authentic. And and they didn't treat it all as like funny because, oh, look at how weird the Japanese people are. It was funny because Tom Selleck didn't want to do it, or Tom Selleck didn't know how to do it, or stuff like that. Um, so I, I thought that was really cool just to get, uh, get a perspective it back in the eighties of, of baseball in a, in another country. Um, and of course it's very big in Japan. They love it, uh, as much or maybe even more than we do here in the U S. Um, and then, well, yeah, Mr. Baseball, I just want to touch on real quick. Yeah. It, it, yeah. they made it for $40 million. It bombed. It only made $20 million at the box office. Uh, but I caught it a month or two ago on um, MLB Network. 
I think I talked about it on the podcast, but it, yeah, I was I was kind of like you. I was a little apprehensive. I was like, okay, it's been 30 years, and this is the 80s, and they they probably didn't they probably handled the Japanese culture thing a little mawkishly. And I was pleasantly pleasantly surprised, like you, just like they were really sensitive to Japanese culture, and they don't portray it as stupid, and they don't really necessarily portray Jack Elliott the, the as like a, as like the stupid American. He's like. Like he brings something to the table. He, he kind of shows them how to have fun and and uh, uh, and you know have fun playing the game of baseball. And they kind of show them that you're you're one of like a larger unit and you got to work together. And uh, you know they each bring a little something to the table and learn from each other. And I yeah, it's a really good uh, really good message. And also the baseball scenes are really good. Like compared to like yeah. Bull Durham or Major League, even Major League has Absolutely. some really good scenes. But like you can tell that. You know, uh, uh, Wesley Snipes has never held a bat in his hand. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Japanese actors are really good in the film, and they may have been well been real players for all I know. Uh, I, I, some of them were, yeah. Uh, and then and they they did a really good job like capturing the excitement of like a game. And, and they I don't know how they filled those stands. I mean, they could have filmed these they, in the Tokyo. I, I Dome. actually I looked that up. They actually they did some um, archive footage, uh, not archive. Uh, documentary style footage uh-huh. of like actual games and then they also uh they got some just some baseball fans from the area they're just like hey come be extras mm-hmm. in our movie by sitting in the stands well it really captured the excitement of games really well so yeah i, I agree that was that's held up very well i was kind of surprised it did um so then the next one i watched was bull durham and i had seen mr baseball before and i knew i liked it when i was a kid and i the only thing i could remember was something about kobe steak um, and then the bunting at the end, but, um, that I hadn't seen Bull Durham. So I watched Bull Durham for the first time. Cause that's, it's kind of like a, a baseball movie that everyone always talks about that I'd never seen. So this seemed like a good opportunity. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much, but it does have some really cool stuff. Um, cause it takes place in the minor leagues. So we, I was just talking about like how cool it is to see the Japanese leagues in Mr. Baseball. And we get some of the same kind of perspective for what it's like to play minor league baseball in Bull Durham and just kind of the atmosphere and the way guys do things. Um, it was, I was really fascinated to see, uh, just to watch the bus rides and how the guys would interact on those and, and just, um, the way that uh, Crash handles uh, Nuke, the the pitcher Nuke Lelouch, was was just uh, was really fun and interesting, and and he did things that like you you would assume you could get away with in the minor leagues, like tip the guys off to the pitches because he doesn't really care about winning necessarily as much as he cares about developing this prospect because that's what Crash, of course, is brought in to do is is not even to play, it's to it's really to just coach up nuke Lelouch so that he'll be a little bit mature more mature when he goes to the big leagues so uh, uh, there was there was just a whole bunch of scenes and there's there's so many quotable lines in that movie just so many quotable lines you know i think that that movie i think maybe kind of portrays the camaraderie of a baseball team especially the minors where you kind of you're stuck riding the same bus together and you got to stay in the same hotel uh you know usually multiple guys in the same room uh, but that I think really captured that, and like the you know the, the conversations on the then the mound visits. Of course, that's one of the, I think some of the best stuff in the movie. Where which I guess mm-hmm. someone someone in the comments said that that stuff was ad lib, ad lib by Robert Wool and some of the other guys out there, which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am curious. Uh, you know, you you I think you made a really good point in your your article about how it did seem to be kind of uh, out of time a little bit. Like you know, it, it takes place in the eighties, presumably. 
but it does kind of seem like like an older style of baseball, like an older like they're like, almost like you took them out of the fifties a little bit. And I don't know if that was because maybe the writer, uh, you know, grew up or the directors, you know, kind of grew up. I think it was Ron Shelton directed it. Um, you know, maybe he grew up watching that kind of baseball in the fifties or sixties, and that's how it reflected. But or maybe that's just the way the South was. You know, the, the Carolina League was in the nineteen eighties. I don't know, but it does seem a little out of place. And then the plot isn't like super great. Like the baseball, the baseball stuff's really good. I think the plot. I don't think it, I don't know if it's the most compelling stuff in the world. I don't know, Sean. What do you think of uh, uh, Bull Durham? Uh, I think. I mean, it's kind of. I guess people say it's like universally whatever. Like the most liked baseball movie, but I'm not that large of a fan of it. I mean, you kind of mentioned. Yeah, I've only seen it a couple times. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of older baseball, and the plot's nothing great. But I mean, there's tons of good lines in it. Uh, I don't know. It's it's not in my top five baseball movies. I would say um, not that I've ever really sat down and thought about it, but I I couldn't I couldn't find it in my top five. I, I wouldn't think. It's not a movie that I'm particularly excited to watch again, but I am glad I saw it once just for and like you said it doesn't have a great plot but it does have it really sets this atmosphere of the minor leagues and it being a really hot summer and, and all this stuff that you you don't necessarily get when you're watching a major league or a mr baseball or other kinds of baseball movies um and it does it does feel a little old-fashioned and i don't know how much of that was it's the minor leagues and how much of that was uh i feel like directors are always a little uh a little behind the times uh, writers and directors always feel like they're they're maybe a couple decades behind uh, stuff like baseball, like things outside of their experience always seem to to play older than they are. Uh, I feel like we really could see this with computers uh, in the 2000s. It felt like all oh, the computers are like the 70s computers for some reason, uh, you know, just that kind of stuff. But the, the, the atmosphere of the minor league parks was just really uh, interesting and it, it felt really authentic. And yeah. So I was glad. I'm glad to have experienced that, even if I, I'm not particularly interested in watching it again. Yeah, it does seem like a, a kind of an accurate portrayal of minor, the way the minor leagues are. Uh, you know, and I think the great thing about baseball films is that there are a lot of really good ones. I mean, I think you know, Sean, you say it's not even your top five, and I think that probably says more to the kind of the depth of how many good baseball movies. And I don't feel like other sports have that necessarily. Like, there's you know a couple good basketball movies, maybe you know a few good football movies, but baseball. And I don't, I don't think it's just because I'm a baseball fan. I think there's like good 10, 12 really good baseball movies I would I would like watching on a, on a given night. I was just going to say baseball movies had a boom. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. When when Major League and Bull Durham came out, they were they were so popular that they just kept churning them out for a while. So we got a, we got a whole bunch of them. And I don't feel like football movies, other sports have ever had that same kind of boom where they they came out with a couple good ones in a row. And, and all of a sudden, everybody wanted to do them. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's interesting was we haven't seen like so many of them since then. Like it's it's this. There's been a couple good ones, but but I feel like there's been a little bit of a dry spell. Uh, but I guess, John, looking back, what are what are maybe your favorite one or two baseball movies that you would you'd, you'd want to watch on a given night? Yeah, um, I think my favorite. So I think the best baseball movie, as far as um, quality of the film, I think is Moneyball. In my my opinion, not just because I enjoy the analytics, but I just think. The entire way, the acting, the writing. I mean, it's it's a freaking Aaron Sorkin movie, um, and it, Michael Lewis wrote the book, so it's it's basically made for me. Um, that's probably the best. I think baseball movie. My favorite is Fever Pitch, which is absolutely not a good movie, but 
it's just enjoyable and it came out when i was in high school and i was like oh it's just one that i've, I've always stuck um stuck with and enjoyed um a league of their own is also one of my favorites it's up there that's an underrated uh, film i think people forget yep. that but yeah it's a really good baseball movie Yep, uh, Summer Catch, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, Angels in the Outfield. I mean, there's there's a bunch that I make my list. Um, most of them all, as I you know kind of listed them off, most of them all came out at least ten years uh, ago, if more than that for many of them. But I mean, there aren't any contemporary you know good baseball movies that I that I think I can recall. I don't even know if there have been any other than Trouble with the Curb, which is just a terrible movie, but. I think that's what's the most recent baseball movie. Well, Moneyball, Moneyball would be on there. Um, yeah, I think there's yeah, been some true. like there's been some indie movies. There's, I was actually on Amazon and I saw a baseball movie pop up and I had never heard of it. It was like some actor I'd never heard of, but it was some like indie movie about like a minor leaguer that just couldn't yeah. break it to the side. So there's probably movies like that being made. Uh, but yeah, it's been there's been a dr- bit of a dry spell. I think. There's been two films that have come out, I think, in the last 10 years that I really enjoyed. I wouldn't put them in my top five or anything, but um, there's a documentary called The Battered Bastards of Baseball, which was on, it's just on I think Netflix produced it. Uh, and it's about a minor league team in Portland. I think they were the last independent minor league team that played in a league with affiliated teams. So they played in the Northwest League with affiliated teams, but they were still independent with their own players. And it was actually owned uh, by Kurt Russell's dad. And Kurt Russell, the actor, uh, kind of was like a ballpark um, kind of uh, gopher. He kind of helped the players get uniforms and, you know, took, uh, attended the stands and did all sorts of things. And it's just a really cool uh, slice of what independent minor league baseball was in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, Bill Murray makes an appearance in it. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, it's just really cool. I had never heard of this team. I'd never known about this. Uh, it was really interesting to learn about. And then uh, the Sugar, which is like a really underrated indie film about a young Dominican player signed by, of all teams, a Kansas City team that's a fictitious Kansas City team. Uh, but it, it's not, it's a, it's a, you know, these other movies we're talking about are comedies. This is more of a, uh, a more quiet or understated film uh, that kind of follows his uh, travels, you know, assimilating, trying to, trying to, assimilate to the United States uh, and being a little alienated by, by what he finds. So um, I don't, that's not a, not a, like a, I wouldn't watch that movie to, to get like, to feel good about anything, but it's, it was a really good film. I thought, uh, and that was made, I think maybe 10 years ago. So I don't know, Jeremy, what, what yeah. are some of your base, favorite baseball films? Uh, well, obviously major league is really high up there. Um, in fact, I, I, one of the reasons I haven't watched that movie uh, for the for the does it hold up is because I think everybody it's it's in the top five for almost everyone who likes baseball movies, and so I don't I don't know that I have anything left to say about that movie that hasn't already been said. Um, uh, Mr. Baseball is up there. I you know I haven't watched as many as you'd think I sh- I should have considering uh, how much I love movies and how much I love baseball. Um. Uh, what was the one about the the Black Sox scandal that I watched? Oh, Eight Men that Out. One, that's a really good one. Yeah, that one yeah, was really real good. One. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember it was really good. Yeah, talk about a good cast. That one had, um, had Charlie Sheen. Uh, you've got John Cusack as Buck Weaver. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got uh, David Strathern, Dr- Strathern? Strathern? It, as Eddie Seacott. Yeah. Uh, D.B. Yeah. Sweeney was jo- Joe Jackson. You've got... Uh, Christopher Lloyd again. Uh, so yeah, that's another great cast, um, and it was a, that's a John Sayles picture too. So that's that's an excellent movie. Um, 
what's the Sean? I know you mentioned Trouble with the Curve. What What are some of the worst baseball films out there? Um, Trouble with the Curve. Um, First of all, have you seen it? Or, and what makes it so bad? Yeah. It's just terrible, and the whole premise stinks. And like you know, it's just there's just so much wrong with it. Keith Law has a really good write up on on his website, um, Meadow Party. Um, but like the so the whole the main guy, the, I guess the the big prospect, the guy is supposed to be number one overall. This is the biggest issue with it. The guy is supposed to be number one overall. You know, he's been scouted a million times. No one understands that he. He can't hit. They don't figure out he can't hit a curveball until like the day before the draft, <laughs> where some <laughs> random arm, some guy that they found in a, in a motel, strikes him out on a curveball. Basically, it's like, dude, you guys been been watching this guy for months now, years probably, and you find out he can't hit a curveball the day before the well, draft. Also, small that, sample size. <laughs> yeah. So right. uh, and so I don't know. So it's just not very good. And I think they do a trade, and I think they do a draft pick trade as well. It just is not particularly good. Um, What's the movie that made Tommy Lee Jones when he played? Uh, gosh, Cobb. Oh, was? Ty Cobb. Yeah, Ty Cobb. Cobb yeah. yeah, that movie's pretty bad. The Babe, I thought, was pretty bad as well. Um, I never saw. Did, did you guys see Forty Two? I never did see Forty Two. No, it's no. it's on my list yeah. to watch. Me as well. Yeah, I, I need to get around to seeing it, but I, that, that that's been one that's made in the last decade. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, oh, one that we didn't talk about that I think would count, right, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think any movie with baseball in it is a baseball movie, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna qualify Ferris Bueller under those same rules. Yeah. Well, then I guess we need Did to mention you? among base, best baseball films, Naked Gun, because uh, that oh, yeah? has one of the has some of the best baseball scenes I think in any movie. Uh, and I actually yeah. just watched that last week with my son for the first time, and he uh, he 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 got a pretty good chuckle out of that as well. So for um, any uh, for any effectively wild podcast listeners, used to be a baseball perspective, now it's a fan graphs. That's their rule: is essentially any movie with baseball in it is a baseball movie. Essentially. So <laughs> you've got a pretty broad category. Yeah. Well, we we got a lot of time to watch more baseball movies uh, until real baseball starts. So. Uh, you know, I'm definitely going to watch 42, which I think is on Netflix right now, uh, and some of the other. Uh, I guess I'll avoid Trouble with the Curve. Hey, one other baseball movie we didn't mention, uh, perhaps we shouldn't mention a Royals review: Million Dollar Arm, starring John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get to plug in. Yeah, we got to make sure we uh, plug that. So. Oh, oh uh, Rooster's Millions? How do we not talk about yeah, Rooster's Millions? Brewster, that's a Come baseball. On. That is a baseball. There's a great baseball scene in that movie. Heck yeah, uh, I love that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, yep. see, baseball just weaves its way into all sorts of films. Have either of you seen the movie The Fan? Oh, that's yeah. a bad movie. That's a bad yeah. baseball <laughs> movie. <laughs> Wesley Snipes, I couldn't right? remember. I, I couldn't tell you if it's good or bad. It's it's Robert De Niro and it's Wesley Snipes. And Wesley Snipes plays a Giants player. And uh, Robert De Niro plays a knife salesman whose life is right. spiraling out of control. And he's obsessed with the Giants and with Wesley Snipes' character in particular. And just like... I don't remember if it was good or bad. I just remember feeling extremely disturbed when I was done watching that movie. Yeah, it's a weird one, but I mean, it's a '90s movie, right? And so yeah, '96. Kind of that that yeah, old thrill, the yeah. kind of night. It, it fits in that '90s thriller scheme. Yeah, you know, I just, what I remember about that game, that movie, is that like all the Giants games were played with like no lights. <laughs> it's like every oh, game yeah. was like dark and rainy. Um, and there's a similar movie like that called Night Game from 19. 19- the late 80s, I think, with Roy Scheider, and he's, like, investigating a murder at the Astrodome that involves, like, the Houston Astros, and that, I remember, I don't 
I mean, I think I watched. Did it involve it. trash can banging? Also, <laughs> this is well. This is this would be your Mike Scott late '80s asterisk, but um, I think I was too young to like understand what was going on. But I remember that being a pretty bad, depressing movie. That uh, yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me. So yeah, there's there's, there's a, some bad ones out there. There's a 1950 movie I'm looking at now called Kill the Umpire. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty bold. Uh, April. Yeah, April 1950. I don't, I don't recognize any of the cast here. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is not in this one, it seems like. Uh, but anyways, Kill the Empire might be worth watching. One of the wackier ones I remember was, uh, it was like early 80s. With, it was called The Kid from Left Field, which I think was a remake of an older movie. But it was starring Gary Coleman as the bat boy for the San Diego Padres, who becomes the manager of the Padres through, <laughs> I forget what, exactly what happens. Um, I think he's like their mascot kind of in there and he ends up like, you know, actually knowing a lot about baseball and they end up making, they end up facing the White Sox in the World Series, which in the early 80s, I guess maybe that seemed more likely because both teams were decent, but it just seemed, it seemed like a, it seemed kind of far-fetched. I, I'd like to see like um, all the fictional World Series matchups that there have been like, there was that John Belushi movie where he goes to like the Cubs Angels World Series that never happened. Uh, so... I, which I guess that would be a baseball. I don't remember the name of that movie. Oh, taking care of business. I think. Uh, oh so yeah. That's another, right, right, that's, that's yeah. another baseball movie, but uh, yeah. So check out the, check out the good and bad baseball movies while you have all this time off. And uh, we'll wrap things up right now with our Royals review reviews. Sean, what do you have for us this week? Uh, Jeremy, you go first. I'm still, I have two, I'm trying to decide what I want to go with. So Jeremy, go first. If you've got one. Okay. Uh, so I have been watching Avatar The Last Airbender lately, and uh, it's only got three seasons. It was a Nickelodeon show, uh, I guess a little while ago now. It's had a sequel series that's also already finished, um, and I'm watching it for the first time, and there, there's about 60 episodes, and I've watched about 50 of them, and there has not been a bad episode yet. It's been it's been really enjoyable. Just uh, just a a little adventure of um, it's it's a kind of a fantasy adventure where these uh, these people can can use fire use elements on each other like fire, earth, uh, wind, and water. And um, each one of the things that I really appreciate is that each of the they call it bending, so it's earth bending or fire bending, um, and each of the forms of bending is based on a different uh, martial art so uh it, they they all look very distinct and they all but you can tell uh i i feel at a glance that when someone is about to say earthbend like even if you don't know that they're an earthbender you see the way that they're moving and you're like oh that's an earthbender um and it's just been the stories are, are really fun and and i feel like none of the characters get a short short stick uh, I feel like a lot of times when you watch kids' mo- kids' TV shows like this, um, there's always uh, like a comic relief character or somebody who uh, who doesn't really get a chance to really shine, um, and, and all the all the characters really get a chance to to be the hero at various points. So it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I would I would ha- definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to watch it. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find to stream online. I ended up having to get like a Nick hits subscription through my Amazon prime subscription, two subscriptions to watch <laughs> one TV show. It was, it was kind of ridiculous, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Is it as good as, as the M night Shyamalan film? 
I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> that I, got panned quite quite badly. So yeah, I, I, I haven't heard good better. things about it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's at least that good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. John, what do you, have you decided what you want to share? You can share both yeah. of them if you want. Yeah, I guess I will. Um, I started watching. I think I already. So uh, there's a show called The Thick of It. It's a it's an early 2000s British show, and I don't like. I, I, this is the only British show I think I've ever watched. Um, it's by uh, Armando Iannucci, the same guy who did Veep, um, but he also did a um, The Death of Stalin, another movie that just came out. But he did a movie called In the Loop. Um, that I liked, and so this was kind of basically before In the Loop came out. It's got the same character Malcolm in it. Basically, it's like Veep, but British Veep. Um, and so I've been watching that. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's it's pretty good. I'm also I wouldn't say rewatching, but I'm starting again. I I didn't make it through the entire first season, but The Leftovers um, on HBO. I am giving that. A, I just started season two, so this will be the first time I've seen that. So um, I'm watching both of those. The, the thick of it is pretty good, tough to kind of stomach. A lot of the references go over my head because it's early 2000s English politics, which I could not know you know, less about. Um, and then uh, The Leftovers, which just premiered not that long ago. And it's um, uh, – what's his – oh, my God. Uh, I'm, Damon Lindoff is – did it and he did also uh, Watchmen which just came out not too long ago which was great and so I'm kind of watching it backwards because Leftovers is kind of what hooked HBO into then letting him do Watchmen Um, so Leftovers is is great as well so those are the two that I'm kind of working on right now yeah, I remember watching in the in the loop, and I thought that was great. And so I, I've never yeah. actually caught in the thick of it, so I'll have to check out check it out sometime. It's pretty good. Well, my recommendations this week, uh, my reviews, I guess. Uh, first of all, I wanted to plug Joe Posnanski's top 100 player countdown at the Athletic. Uh, if you don't have the Athletic subs- really subscription, um, yeah, th- it definitely is worth it just for Joe Posnanski's 100 player top players list. And it's not, you know, and he even says it's not like he's really ranking these players. It's more that's more of a device to just write about some of these great players and the ones that really got to me first of all the Barry Bonds one is really good in that it, it splits into two it allows you it, it, there's half of it's written for people that like Barry Bonds and half of it's written for people that absolutely hate Barry Bonds and I think it gives each side like proper treatment uh, and, and, and it's really well written but the one that really got me was Oscar Charlton who's a player that a lot of baseball fans even diehard fans I've never heard of, and frankly, I didn't know much about him. Uh, but he was a Negro League player who Posnanski admits, like, I don't know if he's the fifth best player in, in baseball history. And the fact we don't know should make you mad because we never got a chance to see how he did uh, in, like, you know, a more in Major League Baseball against white players. And maybe he was among the best we ever saw, and maybe he was just another guy. We don't know. And it's really a shame. And it's just such a wonderful piece of writing. It just, it almost made me mad that, like, you know, like, how can I call myself a writer when when he's doing this and it's just so much better than I am? Uh, but it's it's really a treat to read. So check it out. And then the other one is uh, John Boys uh, of SB Nation and Alex Rubenstein are doing a video series on YouTube about the Seattle Mariners, which you would at first you would say, okay, well that doesn't sound that interesting, but it actually is. It's super interesting. And if you know John Boys, you know that he brings a really funny, wacky, absurd sense of humor to it. Uh, and they're just like. There's, it's a six-part series. Each each episode's 30 minutes long, and it's extremely hilarious, funny, self-deprecating. Uh, just I, I'm a big baseball history buff, 
especially from that era, and there's a lot there that I didn't know, that I'd never read about or heard about, just bizarre stuff you would never believe. And so I would definitely say check out the history of the Seattle Mariners on YouTube by John Boyce and Alex Rubenstein. It's it's really I mean just watch I mean, one episode here or there uh, when you can because it's it, you'll you'll end up laughing a lot out loud and learning a little bit about one of the I think can, just weirder franchises in baseball. Can I add in on John Boyce? I I consider myself when when I play video games I am very meticulous like in Madden. If I, I'll set my draft board up, I'll rank every single guy when I could probably just pick any random person in the draft for like a franchise. The efforts that John goes through to to create some of these scenarios, and not this Mariners one, but, but some of the other things where like he tries to break like the single, the career touchdown like leader uh, in a single game, the career passing touchdown or whatever it is, he throws 500 touchdowns in a single game. The dedication he puts into his videos and <laughs> yeah. like creating these like you know, firing up his PS4 and spending nine hours trying to do one specific thing is just outrageous. <laughs> and he's, he's so great. Yeah. yeah. What, what you were saying about what, uh, reading Joe Posnanski and you call yourself a writer. That's what I do when I watch John boys videos. And I'm like, <laughs> I call myself a video creator. <laughs> they are pretty slick videos with, uh, with some good graphics. And, and yeah, the, if, if you, if you're done with the Seattle history, of the Seattle Mariners definitely check out the breaking Madden series. Cause those are some of the, funniest videos i think i've ever seen on youtube and it's amazing with the, the amount of time he puts into those well that'll do it for us this week uh, thanks again to sean and jeremy for being on the show hopefully we'll have some baseball to talk about before too long but thanks to our readers and listeners for hanging with us and visiting our site and we'll talk to you guys next time hey!